The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, the Wings Over New Zealand Forum Meet 2014, Part 3, our first speaker is Peter Wheeler of the New Zealand Bomber Command Association. As you can see by my notes, this is not going to be a very long talk, but just to give a little a bit of an introduction to Bomber Command, <coughs> these days we've got about 150 veteran members still. Last year we held it held pretty even, just on 200. Um, the ones that passed on, we were lucky enough to uncover more. And you, wouldn't you, you, it's unbelievable that after all these years, we're still uncovering Bomber Command veterans. So our objective for the last nearly decade has been to meet them all, copy their logbooks, get their photographs copied, and get proceed information about their services. We've had a pretty bad Christmas and we've lost 10 veterans um, in the last few weeks, so that's very sad. The association, we publish newsletters, um, we have luncheons, the boys are ready for luncheon, we have smokos, where they drink all, all drink whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, we still have a Wednesday group go to Motad. And these days, it's a cup of tea in the yarn with a little bit of work. But in the old days, when the association had 1,100 members, you'd have something like 30 vets go there every Sunday to work on the Lancaster and sometimes 50 on a Wednesday. 
So it's been a huge um, project. Um, we've been, Bomber Command's been really fortunate in the last 18 months. It's had a lot of attention shown to it, and veterans really can't get over it after being ignored for 60 years. All of a sudden was the trip to London. I'll, I'll stick it up again in a minute. The trip to London. Um, then we had a private benefactor come in who felt sorry for the RAF boys, because of course the British did nothing to help their veterans. So we had a private benefactor, and I acted as Santa Claus, and we sent six with their families to England, which is great. Um, and this year we've finished up uh, presenting a Bomber Command Trophy of Excellence to the Air Force. And this is a weta-designed airman. It's about so, so tall with bronze. So that's going to be presented on an annual basis to an operational unit. Mightn't be a squadron, but a unit for excellence and service. If you go to MOCAT today, if you haven't been for a while, you'll see a lot of changes. Uh, since the big new hangar was put up, um, we had some problem in that a lot of the displays were stripped and we're gradually going back replacing it with new material or pulling it out of the archives. There's a lot of touchscreen um, consoles around where, especially for little people, can come along and touch the cockpit and they'll get a picture of the cockpit and they'll talk by a pilot. For those more interested in the history, there's a, now a theatrette done in a tent and you can go in there and there's um, probably about 30 interviews filmed over the last 10 years when the chaps are talking about things. So it's become really quite a, uh, a place to visit. Uh, MOTAT has set up a Bomber Command Memorial website where you can type in uh, a missing person's name. It'll isolate who he was, where he flew from, what aircraft he flew. And of course a lot of this work has come from Errol Martin's books. I'm sure you're familiar with Errol. <clears throat> and with more information from overseas. And so that's an ongoing project. Um, we continue to visit veterans, we continue to build our archive, photographic archive, and I think from memory at the moment we've got about 12,000 images. Um, they've been catalogued, but unfortunately not all of them are indexed, so you'll get a, a group, a crew picture, and we might have one name. Um, so the, the plea is always to, to groups like this, if you have any photographs, we would love copies. We can get them copied, or laser copied, because once they've gone into the tip, and unfortunately a lot of them have, they've gone, we'll never get them again. So these days, one reason why I said to Dave I'm on the computer all the time, is every day we will get requests from movie companies, um, magazine, writers, authors, researchers, and families saying, have you got any information about this? Well, my great uncle flew on this. What can you tell us about it? And it's surprising, <coughs> if they were killed, we've got a heap of information. But if they came through unscathed and disappeared back into farming or whatever they did, the amount of information we have is almost nil. So once again, anything you've got, we'd really appreciate. The archive has got to a size now, physically, you know, with radio sets, um, metal sets, a lot of that material, plus logbooks and uh, photographs, that we, this year, we're going to propose to, uh, making MOTAP the National Centre for Bomber Command. 
It is, in any case, we've got the Lancaster there. Probably there's a few items in Wigram we'd like to sneak back to Auckland. Um, there is the big bronze memorial which we unveiled in 2009. That's a wetter designed $150,000 bronze which sits in the Auckland Museum and we'll probably bring that back to MOTAD. Um, because the feature of the displays, and we now get people from all over the world coming to see it, is the Lancaster. Um, for veterans, there's an open invitation. Should you wish to go aboard the Lancaster, you'll be escorted aboard and left as much time as you need. For relatives, again, it's by appointment. So we are quite cautious about who goes aboard the aircraft. Now, as Dave introduced, we've the markings on the Lank at the moment, um, Jonathan over there is more expert than I, and we've got a couple of good archivists here, uh, of significance but not very important. And we've been looking at upgrading the markings on the Lank to feature something funny enough that started in the forum. And perhaps a year ago now, we posted some photos of nose art. We wanted to look for something that was special and probably a year ago now we, I started to put some pictures up on the forum of the various nose art on Bomber Command New Zealand crewed aircraft and this is one, the captain's fancy. And from that was a great deal of interest and of course we've got a lot of plane spotters in this forum. Um, various people have done a lot of research and we've now got a list of basically every crew who flew it and also the raids they did, and that aircraft was issued new to the squadron, and it flew throughout the war on operations. It then, at the end of the war, was retired, transferred to another RAF squadron. There'd been some work done to try and bring that aircraft back to New Zealand, but apparently the fee was £20,000, and there was no funds to bring it back. So it was scrapped in 1947. We do have a lot of photographs, none in colour, unfortunately. So, with that in mind, I asked Pete West, who's around here somewhere, there he is, to have a look at these out-of-focus, scruffy old pictures, and we have got quite a lot, to see if we could put up a colour scheme to show our sign writers to something we were looking for. So, this is where we are at the moment. And we've got a few questions for you, because, as it's shown, I want some inter interaction here. As it's shown, it is nearly as the last photograph we have. There was a complaint, it was a complaint sent round squadrons early on that the white in some of this nose art was too bright and reflecting off from searchlights. And they went and gave it a sort of a sooty overcoat. For our aircraft, we're going to leave it very bright. The question is, is that it's there at 102 ops, but we have documentary evidence and logbooks of it doing 103, 104 and 105. So do we put those on as well? We have also documentary evidence that it did two mana drops to the Dutch. And we, I have seen mana drops on aircraft signified by a little parachute and like a sack underneath. So should they go on it? It also brought back POWs from Yuvencourt. Um, so maybe that needs to be put on. 
because, because this is a museum aircraft and we'll have a, a display board and possibly postcards and a data sheet, the more information that the um, exhibitors, the MOTAC people, can build into the exhibit, the more worthwhile it is. So while they can talk about the number of raids it did, they can talk about mana, which is a whole different story about how the Dutch were starving and they had airdrops during the war with agreement from the Germans. So that's a, that's a nice social piece of history. Same as the POW thing. So um, just an interest around here. Does anyone like to comment about putting the rest of this aircraft's operations on the nose? Anyone got a comment? No, that's a great idea. You're trying to tell the history of the aeroplane, not just the aeroplane for that date. So you need to worry about what's on there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that, but I'm not sure that I've ever seen a marking for a POW flight at all. Neither have I. So, so I would think that the extra three ops and the mana should probably be on it with notes, text, something like that on the display. Yes. Like the POW flights. Yep, you're in line with what we think. Um, I, I know. Look. Doug Williamson, who was mentioned earlier on, one of the five chaps I led <coughs> going back to England, he was delighted that uh, Operation Manor was commemorated because he said we would like to be remembered as people who also did something good, not just who destroyed. Uh, so Manor and POW very important. The other, the other markings here, if you're not familiar, that's GH leader markings on the on the tail. Um, it did, it's certainly its last stop was GH leader. Um, we've had questions about how the coding is, is somehow back the front in JN. JN being the code for Sea Flight 75 Squadron, and also how the serial number of the aircraft is stacked one above the other. Pete, did you want to say something about that? Um, yeah, I was trying to work out. I originally did that aircraft with the uh, logo almost blotted out because it had to reduce the, the uh, clarity of it. I'm trying to remember who I did it for, and uh, I know I had basis to do that because I, I was the first aircraft, the only aircraft I've ever done with one above the other, so I would have just done it out of yeah. just guessing for sure. I mean, we'll check it tomorrow. I haven't got my computer here, so I can't check it. But I'm almost certain that's correct, MJM. Um, so the, the other thing which Jonathan noticed is our blanket MOTAT is fitted with a pair of .5s, which that aircraft is as well, not the normal full Fraser Nashes. So um, the expectation is tomorrow when I'm at work, I'll, I'll organise the sign writer who will come in and with an enlargement of this area plot out and give us a price on doing the whole side. Now, again, some help from you guys. What about the starboard side? At the moment, it's carrying AA codes, and we certainly can't have 75 Squadron on both sides because the majority of Bomber Command um, New Zealanders didn't fly on 75 Squadron. This side, at the moment, is carrying SR codes, which is 101 Squadron. So if anyone's got any feelings about a good aircraft to put on the other side, um, 
it would be nice actually put, to put nose art on the other side as well, even though it's not correct. But any comments? Excuse me. Yeah. Did that Motat link come from the French and Yes, it did. Yes. You didn't mention that in the history of it. Me? Yeah, just mentioned that. Oh, no, no, no. Hmm. no. It's, um, thank you, thank you, Jonathan. Um, you, you, I think oh, well, I'll put it up again if it's people might be surprised that this Lancaster has actually never been decommissioned. It's the only one that I know of that hasn't been decommissioned and then brought back up to scratch again. So all the engine logs, the airframe logs, they're all still there. Um, the Jonathan pulls the props over, the, outer, the outers are not plumbed, but in theory, um, I know Peter Jackson was very keen to make it a flyer. And he said, you know, will it cost two million? And he said, maybe, no, that's fine. So there are, it's fully, even the machine guns in it are operational. <laughs> Wouldn't it be appropriate to leave markings for the original airplane to honor the airplane yes. in its own way? And yes. therefore, leaving it some of its original markings on the other side yeah. would seem to me to be the right way to go. Yeah, our historian has said exactly that, and that and we should not remove the existing codes underneath. We should do that was just done in Bomber Command, and they'll simply be overpainted. And leaving the other side of the airplane in, in one of its It's quite a colourful deep blue with the French naval round all of the anchor on it and white lettering and so on. It is a colourful aircraft in its actual own operational colours. It, it's, um, yeah, it, from records, it was built in 45 Austin Motors, I think, from memory. And so it's, it was never issued to a squadron. It went off um, in Western Union, which is the beginning of NATO. And it was one of 50 sold to the French. Um, when it came out, it served in New Caledonia for a long time. And it was painted in an off-white colour, tropical colour. Um, and as Jonathan said, it's got the uh, Naval yeah. anchor and roundel on it, W13. Um, it's thought, yeah. Uh, we have had similar discussions with the mosquito that sits at Motat, and unfortunately the, the bureaucrats got involved with that, so that's actually a nothing. Um, it's, it's painted as it came out of store, Irons of the F, Woodburn. So it was never used, so it's still in its Australian colours. All right. <coughs> so if, and later on... Another idea might be to paint the other side of the colour of a more notable New Zealand airman. Like Fraser Barron. Certainly, yeah, certainly. Find somebody that's significant and achieved a lot and yep. commemorated him as well as Yes. Well, we've got Fraser Barron's uniform on display yeah. that he's got his own cabinet there, so that's appropriate. That's really good because the aircraft was part of it, but the people were obviously the more important part mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah something like that, that young kids will be able to relate to a person too, you know, so it's, it's relating everything to Yeah. With, you're quite right, because with MOTAP funding these days, uh, a lot of it is earned by taking school, it's part of a school curriculum, too complicated for me, but they, by going there they earn points, you know, and they get certificates and become doctors. But the, something like that, I think that's how it works.
so to have, as I was saying on this side, to have a lot of a story, a social story with it, means that these educators can get in and, and write a number of things about it. So your idea for the other side is, is quite valid. It's a brilliant idea. I see, I see the Canadians really Lancaster are going to put it in a temporary scan with the shark mounts on the red howlings on the aircraft. Yes. And fly like that for a wee while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this, fortunately, this is not a full repaint because if we went for that, that's, that becomes a major because of all the other aircraft that are in the hangar. So this, this is actually going to be hand applied. That's the end of my piece of paper. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And, and if you do have any thoughts about it, um, we've got a Facebook page. Uh, thanks to Dave. Um, we've got a website. Um, it's got all the contact details there. If you are in Auckland and would like to meet the Lancaster a bit more closely, see Jonathan or I, we're probably uh, one of the few people in the world with keys to their own Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, Peter and Jonathan. It was uh, fascinating, and I hope that uh, the repaint goes well and we can find a, a good solution for the other side of the aircraft as well. Um, coming up next, we have um, our international guest, Robert Peel, who's here from Denmark, and uh, he's going to talk about 487 Squadron's um, shell house raid. So, we welcome Robert. Thank you. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the Shell House raid. Um, I've got to, got to admit something. I was in Canada and I was shot down. I've made six mistakes in this presentation. I hope you don't find them. <laughs> so don't go home and say, well, I've filled you with a pack of lies because I've, I've got a few mistakes here. I want to say thank you for, for, for coming. And uh, as I usually say, do not forget. Um, I live in Denmark on the west coast, and my father was a navigator on 487. Uh, these are the famous words of Winston Churchill. I'm going a bit fast through it because I know sometimes you have some questions, and you're welcome to ask any, anything you want. I'm not very good at answering them all, though. We're going to talk about Qatar, which is uh, a place in North Africa. And that was the code name for the Operation Gestapo Headquarters, Copenhagen. Copenhagen has never been bombed before. The outskirts of Copenhagen were once bombed. It was a, a shipyard. And two other places, three other places in Denmark were bombed. And then comes Copenhagen. Because as you know, the Danes were part of in the beginning at least, they were part of the German alliance. They were not officially against the Germans. The plan with Qatar, um, the Danish resistance actually wanted to, uh, the RAF and the Royal New Zealand Air Force and the R, Royal Australia to come a bit earlier, but it never happened. So they kept asking and in the end, they came, I think it was on the 21st of March. This is the route they took in. And as you can see, there's a, a roundel there. 
And that's where they got together. And then three flights went into Copenhagen. And then you see on the top how they got out or didn't get out. You've also got to imagine that by the time they got to Tisu, which is that roundel there, it's a little lake, the air alarms had gone in Copenhagen. So there were 17 minutes between that and that for people to get into their air raid shelters because they knew they were going to Copenhagen. The object was to get hold of the Gestapo headquarter papers and to free some of the resistance fighters. The, um, the operation went as it should have done, but it was an overscore. They sent too many aircraft and they made a few big mistakes and you'll see that as we go along. I'm going through it a bit fast so that you can, you can sort of grasp the idea of it. There's a, a man called Basil Embry. I don't know if you've heard of him. But Basil, Basil Embry was a, I would say, a, a, a pommy snob. And in Canada, they told me that he actually wanted to fly once again. He was not allowed to fly because I think he was an air vice marshal or something like that. And he was asked not, not to fly in 44 and 45. But he could see that the war was over and he wanted to fly. And a lot of top brass British officers wanted to fly. So you will see a lot of high-ranking officers suddenly flying on this raid. The name of Basil Embry on this flight was Mr. Smith. Here you see a few pictures of mosquitoes coming in low. And these pictures were taken by a, a man who's still alive. He's 93. He lives in Iowa. And uh, he took some of these pictures because he was on board an unarmed mozzie, the FPU. FPU, was it right? Or BRU or something? BRU. And uh, there you see this EG, EG, no, is that EG or is it YH? EG. EG. Well, EG was, of course, 487. And the same picture again. And here you see the names of the people who were on this uh, raid. You see the formation on the left. The first lot is our RAF, the second lot is RAAF, and the other one is Royal New Zealand. And then you have two planes with Kirkpatrick at once, one, one other. My father is in EGT. Together with a New Zealander called Kemp. Did you know, by the way, that half of these people on board these squadrons were not from New Zealand. Some were Rhodesians, South Africans, and British, of course. Kemp, I still can't find Kemp. Can you? He was a, a terrific liar, but nobody can find him. He comes from North Island, Coromandel, that way. One of the big mistakes, that is Shell House as it was in the old days, and there's a, actually a petrol station in the bottom of it. You, you drive into the building, fill up your car, and you drive out again. Or you got it filled up in those days. And this is a, a mock-up of the, of, the of the Shell House. And if you count the stories up there, you've got four stories plus the roof there, and you've got five stories plus the roof up there. So that was the first mistake. And some of the... Uh, 
New Zealanders couldn't find Shell House. This is the way they got in, and that sort of gives you a, an overview of what happened. Um, they started 8.50 from first field and came home at 1400 hours. That's about the same speed as a Boeing 737 does it today. It's not, not a lot of. There were 20 mosquitoes and an overkill of 28 Mustangs. So you just imagine a, a city the size of Auckland with 48 aircraft in the air in one go and two bomb sites. The big mistake here is, is the hurricane up there. See it? They call that a Mustang. Um, the top story of the building was, was the, a prison for all these people. You can see them up, some of them up there. There they are. And um, these two guys, Lippmann and Trulsen, they were the special overseas ex executives who went to and fro between Denmark and the UK. In those days, you could nearly swim across to Sweden and get an aircraft back to London if you paid for it. This is a bit about the, the press. And there you see the, the, the building. The shell has actually been burning. And this photograph is an illegal photograph. It was taken by a photographer and actually published in the illegal newspapers a couple of days afterwards, because you can see it's in Danish. These are the sort of jokes that went around in the UK about um, 487 and Gestapo headquarters. 487 were in Aarhus, in Gestapo headquarters. They were in Ulnse and in Copenhagen. And of course, they were in Amiens prison. And I think they were one of the best mosquito squadrons at that time. I don't know what you say about that, but I've heard of it. This is part of my father's logbook. It's over there. And you can see 8.50, 5 hours and 30 minutes, and there you can see what, what sort of happened. My father was in the Air Force uh, in 1932. He started. He was a bookkeeper. He had to make sure people got their salaries and so on. And when, he, when the war started, he was a squadron leader, and then he became demoted. What do you call Demoted? To pilot officer, because otherwise you couldn't fly. Here you have some of the crew. This is the Andrew Drew was the guy that fell into a boulevard on the in Copenhagen. I've met his three sisters, still alive. And then you've got Embry. I don't know if you can see it. And then you've got Sismore. We'll talk about Sismore later. A couple of pictures how it all went. Just look at the height of those mozzies up there. There was a person here who told me that his uncle, was that right, had seen it? And that's... My father was on the wall. Pardon? My father was on the wall. Sorry, your father. Yeah. You see they came and they had to climb to get over the mast heads in the harbour. Mm. Um... Kirkpatrick, when I met him, he was uh, 
he was uh, 90, and he was the photographer, and he was faster than everybody else because he had no arms. And if you look at that picture, Kirkpatrick is the, is the longest one, and you see the other one, he looks rather strange. He is not an RAF navigator. He was a photographer from the war ministry, and he couldn't navigate anything. <laughs> and Kirkpatrick being the fastest of the lot, he was always in front. I had to turn to get back and to make photographs. And Hearn, he had no idea. And when he landed at, uh, at First Field after the raid, Hearn was gone. And he obviously had to publish these photographs. But he didn't like him because he was useless as a navigator. The results, a lot of prisoners got out, the addresses had gone, and uh, the Germans were not really prepared. Plus they had this catastrophe which you probably have heard about when they bombed the wrong target. This shows the air crews. That's 487. Very strange, I was in Ashburton last week at the Air Museum and I found this photograph. And my father is on that photograph somewhere on the left. And then somebody told me that there was still a pilot alive in Ashburton, so I went to see him. But they didn't know each other. And this is the same problem as Dave Homewood has got to find the history of the pilots and which squadron and what the names were. Because nobody ever put a date behind his photographs and they didn't put a, what do you call it, the name. Right. Um, I don't know if you know, but the Mosquito did a, quite a few special operations. The um, Hitler's birthday, have you heard about that? Amiens um, prison, of course, and then uh, after the Rodeau sur bombardment, pinpoint we've talked about, the bombing of Zeiss in East Germany. Zeiss was the camera factory, the lens factory. And Philips Eindhoven, that was earlier we talked about that. And of course, they were pathfinding on the dams. Um, Kemp flew my father's, with my father a couple of times and my father didn't like it because Kemp was, a, was a, a real bush pilot. He would never, he refused to come back with any bombs, with any equipment, with any, anything in the plane. So he was always looking for a low-level target somewhere in France. This is how many mozzies came back. Have you seen these pictures in the, in the magazines? In those days, the UK could build planes. Whoops. What happened? <coughs> Mosquitoes. Um, 7,600 were built. I've heard the figure of 7,800, but it's around there. And a lot of them were built, of course, in the UK, and a few in Canada, and the UK, and uh, Australia. Do you know that you have one of the best mosquito builders in this country, in the world? <laughs> <laughs> the only one. 
Why don't you appreciate it? We do. You do, <laughs> but the rest don't. Have you been there? Well, by the time he's finished with it, it'll be in a, a, New, a New Zealand airplane. That was EGT. And did you know that the... We're talking a little bit about mozzies now. Did you know that the mosquitoes... Hang on. Yeah, they were. Were actually the Met Office for the UK. They were flying to Greenland. They were flying to Iceland and the Faroe Islands. And that was the Met Office. And here you can see some of the names. And they came back with the weather, weather reports. That was a very important operation. After the war, um, we have a, a, a customer who bought a lot of mosquitoes in, I think it was Canada. Spartan. Spartan Air Services. And we now have a mosquito flying in a week's time or two weeks' time from Canada, which is uh, being built in Victoria, BC. And it's the next spot. Oops. Okay, I don't want to bore you with the KA114. <laughs> that's the old photograph. And that's the way they lived. My old man, he always told me, we used to live in tents when we went to France. We didn't have a decent place to, to stay. But we had a lot of booze, he said. <laughs> now, here we get some skinny aircraft, air crew. And as, does anybody know these people? They're all Kiwis. And they are actually in Belgium. They landed at Brussels Airport together with my old man. And they had a, a, a weekend off. One of them is called Jones. And if you look at them, how skinny they were compared to what we are today, right? And uh, that was a big party. But I don't know any of the others. Nobody recognizes anybody? This is the raid that Sismore did um, on this speech Goering held. Was he going to eat his hat or what was he going to do? Mozzie with rockets. This you have seen. And then you see the various photographs. I think you've seen all those. Actually, this series is actually not thought to be, you're not supposed to be the audience for this series. It's supposed to be for schools, right? So I have to show them a little bit of basic stuff. Have you seen that? What is it? Yeah. Did it work? No. <laughs> you guys are pretty good. <laughs> this, of course, I've seen that picture here today. Did you know that they landed on aircraft carriers? Whoops. What happened? Did you hear about a German mosquito? It was spelt like that, and it was built 
I think they built two or three of them, and it was no good. And they actually built it in wood, but it still was no good. And apparently that nose wheel was no good. There you have the marine, what do you call it, marine mosquito? Sea mosquito. There's some more humor. You've seen that. Has anybody been inside a mozzie? How'd you get in the door then? Huh? How did we get in, Dave? <laughs> I've been inside, but I came through the bottom door. Yeah, that's a bit wider. It's a big problem to get out of that door. That is Ardmore, I think. Or not? No, it can't be. No, it's not. I cheated a bit, actually, then. That is Elecom and my old man on the right. Elecom is still alive. He is a Rhodesian. He's, he's, he never says he's from Zimbabwe, but he says he's from Rhodesia. And uh, he's a very, very funny guy. And my old man, of course, is a lot older than these. You see, he was 10, 15 years older than the others. There's Johnny Alicom. And there are a couple of the oldies left over in, in the UK. My old man, um, not to promote him, but he was um, actually, uh, as I said before, just a normal bookkeeper. And during the, the 30s, he, um, he fell out of an airplane, apparently rather drunk, and he had a multiple fracture on his leg. And it was a real bad fracture. And he ended up lying together in hospital with Douglas Bader. And they became friends, and my old man had a car. It was a Humber something or other. And Douglas Bader, when he, he had no legs, and he asked my father if he could borrow his car. And my father said, well, how the hell are you going to drive it? He said, well, if I sit at the wheel and do the accelerator, which is on the wheel, you guys, and that was a Stretchfield and my father, you can sit at the back with an umbrella and do the brakes and, and the clutch. <laughs> And actually, if you read the book, Reach for the Sky, you, you can see that they go and visit a pub where he was in love with some lady called Thelma. Just a point about this. Earlier you said your father was demoted. Yeah. That's actually wrong. I know. He reverted. Okay, for courtesy reasons, yeah. you say reverted okay. because that's voluntary. If you're demoted, that's, That's out. Different story. Okay. So call it reverted. Okay. My father had a, a very funny. Uh, when he was getting older, he, had, he always had a lot of jokes. And I, he called me in Denmark once and he said, You've better come and make sure I get an old people's home, an officer's home. So I carted him around nine officers' homes in the UK. In those days, everybody could. If you were an officer in the UK, you'd get into a home. 
And I was carting him around for four days. And it was no good. And then we found a place near Bath. And he liked it, but he wasn't sure. And, and I was glad to get rid of him. <laughs> and then um, we were sitting there having tea. And my father was saying, look, if this is the place and I have to drink tea all the rest of my life, I'm not going to stay here. So, okay, we got out some gin and tonic and then it was okay. And then an old man came with four legs, you know, two sticks. And he said to my father, are you the new arrival? And my father said, no. He said, well, where are you from? I said, he said, well, I'm from 487. Oh, he said, I know that. That's New Zealand. And then my father sort of said to me, asked him, he said, well, what about you then? I was in number two squadron. My father said, I don't know number two squadron. Never heard of it. No, he said, that's the difference. You, you, you did the second world war, I did the first. <laughs> <laughs> What's all this, <laughs> What happened? This is, what, this is the story about my old man uh, giving up his rank to fly as a navigator. There you have uh, EGT. I'm not sure he was sitting in that at that day. Uh, my father had an old friend. He's still alive. He lives in Sweden. Hugh Bone. I don't know if you've heard of him. You must have heard of Hugh Bone. I, be, I visited him a few times. He's as deaf as a doornail. And when you ring his buzzer on his flat, the whole flat sort of trembles because he, he can't hear. And he always used to say, your father was a snob. And I said, well, what do you mean now? He said, he was a bit older than us. We were just 19, 20-year-olds. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, well, he, always could, he, he was always on T for Tommy. I said, well, what were you on? He said, I was on W. I said, what do you mean W? He says, they always said, we for Willie. <laughs> and he hated it. <laughs> These are the sort of locations they, they stayed at. If you're interested, I've got some bits and pieces there. Um, I've got his logbook. I've got some of the silk maps, glasses. And what is very interesting is this escape pack. It's got a little compass in it, and it's got speed in it. And I've been all over the world with this pack, and nobody's ever clobbered me for, <laughs> for speed. <laughs> Do you know what speeds uh, Mozzie does? This is meant for school children, right? Are you aware of those speeds, that it was able to do 630 kilometers per hour in a dive? I know you didn't. We do. The range is uh, 2,000 to 5,600 kilometers. And the ceiling would be 11,000. I think it was a bit higher, wasn't it? The weight, 8 to 10 tons. Okay, what was the fuel consumption of a mosquito? Compared to your Orster? Compared to a Lancaster? Does anybody know? 
Pardon? I've got to have it in litres. You're getting... I can't even remember myself. 300 to 600 litres an hour. But of course, 900 was also the figure, right? That's quite a lot, isn't it? How much could it carry? 2,000 to 3,200 litres. There were three drop types of drop tanks. Okay, um, anybody who's been to Glyn Powell's place will see that he has actually done everything right. And I don't know if you know, but he's even made a, a pee toilet for it. Did you know that it was standard with a pee toilet? Under the seat of each, the pilot and the navy, was a little toilet that big. And there you could pee. And uh, that was something to do with the range, of course, right? Um, and that was an original piece of equipment. On the Lancaster and other bombers, they had a, an LSAN. Now, if you go to a camping site and find an old caravan somewhere, you'll see that this tin is an LSAN. They still make them. And, of course, it's a chemical thing. And I was told by, a, by a, a Lancaster guy, he was not afraid of the Germans, but he was dead scared if the lid came off the Alsan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, do you know the slogan for 487? Kite Matunga? Ma uh, Maori? And this is what I usually serve when I... Thank you. Well, I've got a question. Have you been to see John Smith's mosquito? This is the guy that opens the door that far. Well, he climbs in the window. <laughs> no, no, I've been in there. But you've got to talk to him for two hours. Oh, and you've got to say you're not going to photograph. And, and you've got to show the, your fa my father's logbook. And you've got to say, I'm not going to buy anything, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to irritate you. And you can't call him up because he doesn't have a telephone. I think he has. Has he? I think so. That's a good <laughs> But there's a, how many mosquitoes are there in this country? There's only that one that exists from the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Yeah, yeah. It's got one. Yeah. 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 Motite has got it's one. A, it's a, it's a and then there's one in Avspec now? That's it? I've got a question, Robert. Yeah. So, I've mentioned your chief marshal, Sir Basil Somewhat scathing, I might add. Somewhat? Somewhat scathing, I might add. Yeah. But he wrote a book after he retired from the Air Force um, called Mission Complete. Yes. I have a copy of that, which um, my dear lady wife gave me before we were married. I only got around to reading the book um, about three months ago. It gives us a lot of his, his career, but more importantly, it gives a lot of detail about some of the material we've been discussing about. But what I found 
I mean, we're in New Zealand now, right? And how many Brits have we got here? Ooh, I have to be careful then. <laughs> I'm, I'm British myself, right? But I, I, I'm not particularly keen on UK. But my father was in the Air Force in 1931. That's when he started. So he knew all these people. Embry, 1932, Bada, and all the... Johnny Johnson was mentioned. He knew... And he knew all these guys because he was, by the time the war started, he was top brass, squadron leader, right? And he always said, they're snobby bastards. Because my father came from Leicester. And in Leicester, you were not snobby. <laughs> okay? And he always said that... Uh, no, I won't say what he said. <laughs> You had a question? Um, no, you've answered. I was going to ask where your dad was originally from, uh, but you just said it was from Leicester. Because so, yeah. um, I, I kind of wondered, did, did he like working with the Kiwis on, on the squadron? Yes, he, you see, my father was, a, was older than all the rest. And I haven't got it from him because he wouldn't, he wouldn't really mention that. But you, Bone, and Kirkpatrick, they always said your father was an old man when he joined up. So when we had a problem with women or alcohol pub closing on us and that sort of thing. My father would be there as the social officer. He was actually the social officer of 487. What do you call it? Not social officer. Welfare, Welfare, Welfare officer. And he would he would call it sort out what was happening, right? And he got in all sorts of trouble because of these young boys. And then of course he got into trouble with the big boys because he was supposed to be responsible. You Bone told me a fantastic story. You have to listen to this one. They came from an operation. They were doing a lot of night flying. And he came back, U Bone, with all the other, and they got tremendously drunk in this pub. And they didn't like the pub, but it was the only thing near. So when they were really doing well, they got out into his shed, and he had a lot of paint in there. And he had big tins, big tins of green paint. And they hauled the paint out of this shed. And they all stepped into it with their flying boots. And then they would take each other up and they would make marks on the pubs. <laughs> and my father had to pay for all that. <laughs> Thank you.